You're listening to A Strange Arrangement. Welcome to one of my favorite spots in Washington, D.C. This is Kramer's, a bookstore slash coffee shop slash restaurant slash sometimes jazz club. When I feel like treating myself, it's a place where I like to go sit, grab a refreshing French soda. Yes, it's a real thing. Uh, yeah, could I get the... I have the blueberry vanilla French soda. See? Crack open a book and allow myself the time to be still and unproductive, to get lost in someone else's narrative while the hours pass me by. And on Sundays, I like to go there and listen to some local jazz. And I might bring a book with me, but more often than not, I'll just end up watching the band. And on one Sunday, not too long ago, I was reading a book to the sound of the Blue Dot Jazz Troupe, one of the more regular groups that play at Kramer's. And I was sitting back, enjoying how the jazz and the story were melding together. And then my ears perked up because I thought I heard something familiar. I wasn't totally sure at first, but it, it really sounded like a song that I knew. And it wasn't something that I was expecting in a jazz game. a second and then I realized, oh, that's House of the Rising Sun. I thought that sounded familiar. It's a pretty old tune, and if you know it, you're probably familiar with this version. This is a recording of The Animals performing on The Ed Sullivan Show in 1964, just recently after releasing the song on vinyl. But it's actually an old folk song that dates back way earlier, with roots in 16th century Europe. Here, here's another version. This is the earliest known recording of House of the Rising Sun, performed by Tom Clarence Ashley and Gwen Foster in 1933. And so I was sitting there at Kramer's and I just thought, how cool is that to hear this old classic song just casually thrown out in this funky, shuffly style? And I certainly hadn't heard people solo over the song before. It was just one of those cool moments where I got to see how creative people could be. And so I quietly acknowledged this awesome moment in my life and sipped my drink, and returned to my book. Then I put it back down, remembering that I literally make a podcast on this exact thing. This is a strange arrangement. During the break in their set, I got to talk with the pianist and the band leader, Andy Statler who was kind enough not only to share his performance recordings, but also to invite me into his home for an in-person interview about his approach to arranging, how he solos over these tunes, and so on. 
He was also excited to talk about another arrangement he made, which we'll also get into, his jazz arrangement of Battle Hymn of the Republic. It's another unique arrangement in just how it borrows from across genres, but more on that later. For now, here's Andy. Okay, my name is Andy Statler. I am the founder of a group called the Blue Dot Jazz Troupe. We are an ensemble that plays in and around the DMV area. Usually we set up as a jazz trio with piano, bass, and drums. On drums is Terrence Arnett, and on bass is John Buck. I've been going to musicians saying, like, we're going to do House of the Rising Sun. And you are already having it in your rotation. So I was wondering if there was, like, what made you want to do this typically not jazzy song and throw it into your set list for your gigs? Sure. I think the main reason is that I like to play songs that have popular appeal, especially in the kinds of venues we're playing in. Um, I mean, I could play jazz standards all day, but many of them were written in the 20s and 30s and just aren't widely known these days. But something like House of the Rising Sun is, everyone's heard the animals version of that. And I, I think one of the kind of unique traits of the Blue Dot Jazz Troupe is that we're always trying to appeal to our audience and not so much, we're not so much in our own world up on the stage. We're trying to make some connection and often just choosing the right song is a good way to make that connection. I should also say House of the Rising Sun is often associated with New Orleans. That's also a distinguishing feature I think of our group is that we really try and keep that connection strong to New Orleans. Um, it's where I got inspired to play a lot of my music. Um, our trumpet player studied down there. And um, yeah, that's just something that's always kind of front of mind for us. This particular arrangement keeps it pretty simple. So I, this isn't the kind of thing where I'm handing out lead sheets to people. I have um, most, of the, most of the musicians know the chords. And my brief description to them will be, we're playing House of the Rising Sun in A minor and I'm gonna take out the last four bars. Basically, I'm just trimming the fat. So when the animals do, the, do their version, they have these four bars at the end where they, it's just kind of extra. And it creates, I think, a 12 bar sequence, or 10 bar sequence. And I'm just bringing this down to eight bars. So it's really two bars that I'm taking off at the end. Eight bars is a nice round number. It's nice to solo over. It's like very intuitive. So we'll take those, that last, sequence out and um, the other thing I'll tell the band is that we're not we're gonna do a funk groove on this the House of the Rising Sun version if I can play it here is a 6-8 groove so it goes One two three four five six. 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 One two. You get the idea. So I'm counting to six every time. My arrangement has is I call it a big four. So it's four four, but we're really making it a funk groove in that we're emphasizing sixteenth notes. Um, a normal four four would sound like this.
Now that's not a funk groove. It's just very kind of pedantic or you feel like you're kind of walking. The funk groove, I think, adds a lot of vitality to the tune. It also opens up our drummer to really go nuts, um, which is something I always try and encourage. And the, so the funk groove is going to be also 4-4, but you'll hear me emphasizing the 16th notes here. And um, often, when, so when I call this song with my band, it's not always the same bass player and drummer. And what you'll hear in the recording here is that I just play it. Just piano is the intro here. And the reason I do that is because I can really set out what this groove feels like. My band can listen and be like, oh, I hear what he's talking about with the funk groove. I know where to jump in on this. A jazz trio. There's a few different makeups, but usually I think of piano, bass, drums. What is, what's the role for each of those players when you're doing a performance? Yeah, the nice thing, it's called the piano trio, um, generally. And it's one of the more typical jazz trio lineups you see. The reason is because drum is kind of the king of the swing, just like can bring that groove to everything. Bass is pretty much has to be there cover that lower end and establish the groundwork. And the piano, unlike most other instruments, is a chordal instrument. Thus, you can get the almost like a quartet feel where you got the chords there and the melody. Just to give you comparison, like if it was a saxophone instead of a piano, there would be no chords. That's just a, you can only play one note at a time. But um, yeah, so I would say the, as far as the, how the roles are broken up, piano's trying to establish the harmony and the melody. The bass player is helping with the harmony, but really providing that foundation, the lower notes which, on, upon which everything is built. And the drummer's just making, it, when Marcel also always says it's the king of swing, it's the easiest for the drummer to give you that swing feel and like, liven things up you play through the melody and then you start going into variations on the melody mm -hmm. for anyone who might be new to soloing or just interested in soloing in general so what are you do you plan it out ahead of time are there rules that you follow are you thinking about it actively is it more of kind of a feeling thing so what's when it's it's time for you to start going off in your own direction what is that look like feel like totally yeah this is a black box for many people but one thing that's interesting with this song is i my intention is to play the melody twice it's like completely impossible for me especially when we get to the second time around to stay true to the melody because i'm so it's like i'm so excited and the you know drummer and the bass player are picking up the, the energy's building We've already kind of, we played the melody the first time. Even that, I'm loosely interpreting. By the time we're doing the second melody, I'm basically soloing at that point. Um, even though 
my intention is to really honor it and it will honor the melody more as far as solo construction goes i think as a piano player one of the most interesting things you can do is change up the textures and make different harmonic choices and i'll give you a couple examples here so one harmonic choice here is which the animals which would make this more of a jazz song as opposed to the animals version which so you can change some of the chords that they've chosen one that i the one that i changed the most is the very last chord or that is really the five chord every time they play the five chord which is an e minor seven i will maybe hint at their chord the e minor seven then i'll make it a dominant seven so make that a major third so the way that sounds is haven't played it yet so here so that little change there that's me taking a minor chord that they've given me and I make it into a dominant chord which gives you that leading motion into the into the top of the form again and that's something that's fun to play with when you're soloing so just taking that last four bars right there is uh it just gives you something to something that's kind of fun to play with when am i going to make that bring in that leading tone um, so that's an example of one harmonic idea. Um, another texture here is locked hands, which is something George Shearing made really popular, a jazz piano player. But that's where you're taking octaves. You're make, putting everything in octaves. So, Except you're also filling in all the chord tones in between in that octave. So it sounds like this. Really a thick sound. It's got a lot of, you're staying in one little space, but you're playing a lot of notes in that in that within that octave another texture is um you're thinking of two different sets of chords that you, one one of which you play in your left hand one of which you play in your right hand in the left hand i'm just going to play the normal sequence the chords as we know them in the right hand i'm going to alternate between a g7 and an a minor chord I'm just going to ascend in different inversions of that. That's just kind of a fun kind of I call it like a block idea. It's not it doesn't correspond to the harmony of the song, but it it is compelling cuz it creates this tension. Every time you play that G7 that G chord creates this tension that you then resolve to the A 
minor chord, which is a cool contrast on top of what's happening in the bass. Do I play those every time? No. Uh, it, you just kind of stumble, like you, you work on it at home, you feel pretty good about it, and then you hope that you stumble upon it when, you're, when the time's right um, during the solo. Another one I'll mention, there are certain tunes and solos from which if you just learn that one solo really, really well, it's like a fountain of ideas for you. You mean like playing it back note for note? Playing it back, yeah, transcribing it and just ingraining it in your own playing. Not just being able to play it with a recording, but making it your own too. So one example of this, which many, it's a pop song, which many of you heard, have heard, it's uh, Roses by Outkast. The intro to that is just a wealth of minor blues information. It was one of the first, I'd say, minor bluesy songs I ever transcribed, and it's just like totally embedded itself in my playing. And so the way this, the, the intro goes is... So that's um, when, and when I talk about embedding this kind of solo idea in, you have to really be able to do this in all keys. So House of the Rising Sun is an A minor. You'll hear lots of fragments of that in my solo just because that's like so ingrained in my playing. I won't play the whole thing straight through, but they're little ideas. So like one little idea from Roses is this thing. So funky, right? And you, that can fit over pretty much anywhere on this tune, even though it doesn't really correspond to the melody. It's an A minor blues idea. You can just pop it in wherever. So that's another kind of text. I, I guess I'd call it a texture in that it's a linear, uh, a melodic idea that would be something very different from like the locked hands idea or from a um, that kind of G to A minor alternation that I was talking about. I think my own style as a piano player is much more rhythmic than it is melodic. And... Um, I'm pretty sure James Brown went around his whole his whole band and asked the drummer, you know, what instrument do you play? And he said, I play the drums, sir. And then he turns to his guitar player, what do you play? What instrument do you play? And he says, I play the drums, sir. And he turns to his piano player, what do you play? And the piano player says, I play the drums. <laughs> so it's a, the, it was, the idea is everyone was rhythmically oriented in that band. And yeah, they play different instruments, but they were that's what they were focused on is that groove. And that is I think my own in my own style, it's something that I'm way more cognizant of is the rhythm that I'm trying to express as opposed to the melodic flurries and I mean I love that stuff, but it's not something that I've I think I'm more developed in the rhythmic category. Do you decide how long a solo is before you go into it or do you just kind of feel it out. 
I, I feel it out. There's, if you were to survey my solos, there would be a very consistent, I think. And I think it's mainly deference to my band and to the audience. You don't want, especially when I'm leading the band, it would be inappropriate for me to not solo. My main consideration in ending a solo is, am I still saying something that's compelling? Or am I just soloing to fill time? If I get to the point where I'm soloing just to fill time, then that's a, a good time to stop. Come up with some good ending to your solo and then pass it off. But if you're still, if you're in the middle of an idea and the song is coming back around to the top, I will most often play with that idea and it'll launch me into a, a different kind of for part of my solo. Um, so that's that's really my main consideration. Am I still saying? Am I still saying something that's compelling? And now here's Blue Dot Jazz Troop playing "House of the Rising Sun." So after talking about his arrangement of House of the Rising Sun for a while, we got into his arrangement of Battle Hymn of the Republic. Here's a little bit of a standard arrangement just for reference. Yeah, it just screams jazz, doesn't it? So how do we get this to work in a jazz setting? With the, the battle hymn arrangement, what influences how you change the feel of a song for a performance? Because this is very, going back to what you were talking about with New Orleans music and how that had a, a big influence on you. Like, I definitely hear that in this one. It's definitely got, the drummer is definitely doing some kind of second line bass and cymbal stuff here. Um, I can hear a sousaphone part in the bass player. What made you decide to do that? Sure. So I'd say I stumbled on my first decision before I got to house, uh, before I got to Battle Hymn of the Republic was the groove. 
And the groove I have stolen directly from Ahmad Jamal in his Poinciana recording at the Pershing. He's got, that's an iconic groove. And any jazz drummer, any jazz drummer is going to love if you call Poinciana because they get to do that. It's very, it, that's the only song where this groove comes in. So I, in my, when I was, I learned Poinciana and it's kind of a weird song to call on a gig if you haven't rehearsed it. Because every time Ahmad Jamal plays it, it's different. He adds different sections and or changes the chords or so. Um, you have to. There's a lot that you have to work out with a bass player rather than just call it on a gig. So my idea was, well, I love this groove. I love the drum, the drummer's part. What can? Where can I bring it into another song? And I was kind of on this search. I tried it with a, all these different tunes. And it never, it just never really felt right. Um, Poinciana is an extremely unique composition, I think, because um, it it stays on this one chord. It, it, it doesn't move a lot harmonically, but it moves just enough, and it kind of sets this mood. And that mood, I couldn't really find in another song. And then I heard a recording of. Um, Oscar Peterson doing Battle Hymn of the Republic, which he swings really hard. I was like, oh, that's a hip way to interpret this song. I wonder if there's, I wonder if we can get more out of it. And I tried it with the Poinciana groove and I loved it. So that was an instance like we were at Kramer Books whenever, a couple of years ago, and I was like, I don't know how this is going to work, guys, but let's try Battle Hymn with a Poinciana groove. And I, as I, as you'll hear in the recording we have here, I set it up again, just like House of the Rising Sun. I put down the groove, and then hand over the bass part to the to the bass player, and the drummer. Hopefully, he knows the. I mean, I know that Terrence knows the Poinciana groove, and and it's just like let's see if this sticks. And the first time we played it, I was like, this is a hit. This is definitely a, this definitely works. And um, yes, yeah, so that's how that one came into the form that it's in. And you mentioned New, it's definitely a New Orleans feel, but I wouldn't call it a second line groove because it's, it's exactly taken from Poinciana. Okay, so I took that same bass idea and just applied it to an E flat, an E flat. I don't know why I chose E flat. I think I just like the way, where it sat on the piano and put it over E-flat major, so it sounded like this. And in my head, I'm hearing that Poinciana groove, which is dum, ba 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 da da ba dum boom 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 um one interesting thing about when i've called this i've called this a number of times now and i played it with a few different drummers in this recording terrence does a really good job honoring that poinciana groove and it's difficult because this has a lot of energy you're it's a happy song i'm playing a lot of blues stuff and it's just like you just want to keep raising the levels 
but the poinciana groove is very chill boom and Terrence, he'll move to the to his ride symbol, and he brings a little bit of energy there. But Terrence has a whole there, you he can go four more levels up, but he's he's kind of holding back the whole time, which I'm really thankful for. Because when that that was my conception of the song, often when I've called this with other drummers, they they can't re, they don't have that restraint, and it just slides into like. A much more traditional second line kind of groove which i love but it wasn't the way i could conceive this song i wanted to hold it back a little bit in that chill um so that's a kind of an interesting little tidbit about what happens when when you call a specific groove like that and now here is blue dot jazz troop playing battle hymn of the republic Special thanks to Andy Statler and Blue Dot Jazz Troupe for their arrangements today. If you'd like to hear more of their work, well, I'll, I'll let Andy tell you. Thank you. Yeah, the main way to follow us is uh, to get on the email list, which you can sign up for on our website. And the website is blue.jazztroupe.com. B-L-U-E-D-O-T jazztroupe.com. Uh, on the bottom, there's a little forum where you can sign up for the email list. And we're also on Instagram at blue.jazz. Uh, most of our performances have some flyer ahead of time. Um, but yeah. A Strange Arrangement was produced by me, Rob McCarthy. I edit and mix the show, and I wrote our theme music. Our artwork was done by Daniel Joel Newman, and you can find more of his work at danieljoelnewman.com. Special thanks to Elizabeth Stahl for notes and for that voice that you hear at the beginning of the show. If you like the show, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and check us out on Instagram at Strange Arrangement Podcast. And be sure to check out our website, asamusicpodcast.com, for sheet music, artist bios, and ways that you can get in touch with us. Next week, we hear an original song. Yes, someone's original work brought to the podcast. I'm so excited. So check that out next time on A Strange Arrangement. Mm-hmm.